and you need to design everything in the in in the vehicle so that it's adapted for quick and easy ingress egress when it comes to uh, turning radius oh, doors will open and close many times of the day if you compare it to a traditional car so you need to also look at door design in a new way and really look at this as a taxi uh, next generation uh, in materials I mean, pr what's premium in a robot taxi is completely different from what's premium in a traditional car. You don't focus on um, luxury wood or something like that in, in a robot taxi. You would think it's much uh, more valuable if you could charge your phone easily or... Hello and welcome to the Autonicast. As almost always, I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association, the producer of Apex, the Secret Race Across America, and the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show, which I'm sure will come up in this episode. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors and the Communications Director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, Transportation Editor over at TechCrunch, and I get to introduce our guest today. Um, we are going to talk about, I don't know, we're, we're going to talk about a lot, but sort of the potentials, but also maybe what people aren't maybe thinking about in the pursuit to launch and commercialize robo-taxis. And we have a great person here to talk to us about that, and that's Anna Haupt. Um, for those who aren't familiar, um, a, a number of years ago, there was this amazing invention. Um, if I'm hopefully going to pronounce it correctly, Hovadink. It's a, in, the invisible airbag bicycle helmet. And Anna was behind that company, behind the design. And from there, she went to um, become VP of Mobility Solutions at NEVS, which is the Swedish electric car manufacturer, and now is in the VC world. She's an investment director at Nordic VC. So Anna, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for, for letting me in here. So we connected because you sent me a really interesting op-ed and, and maybe you can- Hold on a minute. Before we talk about the op-ed, can, uh, can we learn a little bit more about Nordic VC? Sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm representing Industrifonden. It's a Nordic VC uh, focusing on Swedish uh, companies uh, with the aim to make Sweden a smarter country. Uh, we focus on investments uh, that will um, transform society in one way or another. Um, and um, I'm deeply interested in uh, mobility, uh, future mobility uh, issues and questions and companies related to wanting to reduce the number of cars on the roads. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to find the best companies out there focusing on on this in Europe. And do you live in Stockholm? I live in Stockholm, yes. But I'm from really far up north Sweden, where the, uh, there's a lot of snow right now. <laughs> I One time I drove, and this is another whole other show, I, took a, I drove a Volvo from a town all the way the northern end of Sweden, near the Arctic Circle, to Portugal. And I had no idea Sweden was that long, that large, <laughs> and how remote some of these towns were. And I'm trying to remember the name of the town, but you know something? We're probably going to edit this out. Let's move on. We don't edit you out, Alex. <laughs> we never edit you out. <laughs> Come to me. Uh, I'll look at a map. Uh, I'll look at a map while we record. Please okay. continue. Well, I mean, you were going to ask a question. You, you asked, 
No, nothing. Well, Anna, you talked about one of the investments. Um, one of the focuses is uh, that you're interested specifically is mobility, but actually removing cars from the road. And you know, I always think of bicycles, but is there some other solution that you are? focusing on or see as a possible way of, you know, removing cars from the road. Okay. So now you're getting really close to one of my favorite subjects, um, uh, which is obviously robotaxis, since I also wrote this um, paper on, on robotaxis and future mobility connected to robotaxi possibilities. Um, while I was working with NEVS for five years, um, I was originally employed actually to focus on an AD strategy for the company. Uh, this was uh, 2016 and um, uh, the company was rebuilt from the bankruptcy of Saab and uh, um, the new owners wanted to build an electric car company, but they didn't, they hadn't at that point figured yet out how to relate to autonomous drive development and how to include ADAS uh, and AD, potentially also AD into the future cars of NEVS. Um, so that was my starting point. And when I started to research about um, AD and autonomous levels, one to five, um, with my background from Hövding, uh, uh, working 10 years with algorithm development and machine learning, I immediately got a, a bit suspicious about the level three uh, autonomous drive uh, and felt this is going to be a challenge. Uh, and there was a lot of uh, companies at the time focusing on a level one and two, but I thought, why not focus immediately on level four, five, uh, level four and level five uh, has become more uh, diverse now. I think it's the, the, description of those levels are better now than at that time. Uh, so I would say what I wanted to focus on with today's description is level four. And um, so I suggested to, to NEVS that why don't we focus on reducing the number of cars on the roads? Why don't we become the first OEM in the world saying out loud that we want to reduce the number of cars, we want to reduce congestion, we want to reduce pollution in cities, in urban environments. And why don't we make a car without a steering wheel? And the room became completely quiet. And there was, at the time, 800 engineers asking me, why do, do you want to remove the steering wheel? What year was this? Uh, 2016. And I immediately understood that this was not only a question about technology. This was a question related to feelings. Because all these engineers working at NEVS, they love to drive. They love the feeling of sitting behind the steering wheel, feeling the power and the control of the vehicle. And saying that the human is not needed, that uh, that we should re remove completely the steering wheel. It's offensive almost. And I didn't know because I, I was not coming from car industry or automotive industry. So I didn't know that there are specialists at NEVS 
or, or at any OEM, a big car manufacturing company, working with backside mirrors, working with um, 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 the steering wheel itself, working with uh, the steering column, working with the pedals. They are experts within these fields. Saying that we don't, that I wanted to remove all those subjects made them redundant and also made all the knowledge about how it feels when you take the curve in a cer certain speed also redundant. Everything about car development was all of a sudden turned upside down. Uh, and I didn't understand then, but I understand now that everything in relation to car design, uh, the, or, the, the actual origo of car design is the driver experience. It's not the passenger or the occupant experience, it's the driver experience. The ingress, egress, the height of the vehicle, the wheelbase, uh, everything, everything is connected to, to the driving experience. Um, designing a vehicle for autonomous drive, for a digital driver, means you have to design the, the car completely differently, completely. And not only are you removing the driver, you're also removing the actual private ownership business model. And that's a completely different story. When you remove private ownership, because why, why would you want to own a completely driverless, uh, self-driving vehicle? You don't want to own a self-driving vehicle. Uh, why would you want? to own a self-driving vehicle um, when you can order it whenever you need it. If, if we remove the driver, if we remove private ownership, uh, I also understood that we need to change the vehicle interior. Uh, let me explain the, like the thinking flow here. You have congestion, you have pollution. Okay, so how do we solve that? Okay, we need to focus on mobility need in cities. Um, so um, we at NEVS divided uh, the existing mobility need in Stockholm city into 18 different categories. And we saw, okay, so these 18 different categories like uh, commuting to work, uh, getting kids, uh, driving kids to school, driving kids to football games, um, uh, weekend uh, travel, etc. All those eighteen categories, we we divided them into what hours of the day they were used, and we had this utilization spread out of, over the twenty four hours. And we saw that okay, that you have the peak hours with a huge mobility need. You have different mobility needs during the other times of the day. If you would want to make an AV fleet utilized during the twenty four hours because you need it to be as utilized as possible to have a business model that you can really earn money, that you can have profit on. Um, you need to design the fleet so that it can handle all those different mobility needs. And, and in what way would that then uh, affect vehicle design? I'm sorry, I'm just talking now. Is that okay? <laughs> you want to ask questions? Yeah, mm. well, of course. It's really fascinating to hear the early stories of of how you, you know, put this idea out to Nev. So my question, of course, is 
did they listen or did they, did it take some convincing? I mean, I know you're no longer there, but yeah. what, what happened? What was the result? Was it a, was it a positive yeah. result or no? It was in the end, a positive result, but I think I struggled and, and fighted for this vision that I had for three years internally. It was a long fight with different departments, with many engineers. Um, of course, I was not alone. I could never have done this alone. There, there were more people at the company visionary, and especially the people that hired me initially. Um, they wanted to see this change, and they wanted to not only electrify cars, but make something more. Um, so... We were a core team fighting together for three years. And then in the end, I would say we won. And the, the full company understood that this is the right way to go. Uh, and then uh, we started working with the first prototype. So when I left after five years, we had this first rolling driving uh, AV out in Trollhättan in Sweden. When you talked about sort of what the potential is for a robo taxi in the design and then also the business model. Is there a company that exists today that either on a prototype or their business model, you feel based on your time in the space is getting it or is close to getting it correct? In terms of business models, I think there are a few companies uh, aiming in the right direction. I think there are many companies out there that want to reduce the number of cars on the roads because obviously it's needed. I think there are a huge um, pull from from cities. They want to reduce the number of cars. They need they need technical solutions that will help them solve congestion problems. But what's lacking still, um, with Nevs as an exemption, then in a way with it's one vehicle uh, at, at this stage, um, is the interior and the exterior design, hardware design of the vehicle. I don't see any company really that has done their homework within this field. And maybe that's um, making car designers around the world angry. Uh, I'm used to that. Um, it's a big difference also between my background as an industrial designer and car designers. When I started working with Nevs, I thought that the car designers of the company would be my allies. But I understood quite immediately that our way of looking at design is completely different. I'm My focus in the, is the user, and it's really closely connected to business models while car designers are focusing on aerodynamic shapes details colors uh, based on their own conviction and based on their own love for cars mm -hmm. and for car designs so it's in a way more feelings connected to car design than industrial design which is more business model based and also more user based i would say right so what do you think is lacking i mean from from my perspective and ed i don't know if you want to jump in on this but one thing that to me is lacking is that 
there's this promise that robo taxis will be accessible to everyone. But right now, as it stands, I don't really see any um, vehicles on the road, prototype or otherwise, that could easily accommodate um, different wheelchairs. Mm. You know, so that to me, that's one thing that stands out. Ed, what 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 about you? Do you? No, I'm I'm curious to hear. Uh, I, I was just going to ask. Um, Anna, this this very question, right? We there are a number of prototypes on the road. I think Kirsten, you absolutely mentioned one of the big disappointments, the probably the most obvious disappointment for me in in those designs. But I'm wondering, Anna, I, what are what are some of the other things that you're not seeing in in could write these these purpose designed AVs? We don't have to name any companies. You feel free oh, to come names. on, Ed. Feel you, free to no. I'll, I'll let her, I'll let her talk about whatever specific examples. She wants to, but I'm just curious, like, what aren't you seeing in these in these vehicles that we've seen um, so far? Yeah. So what, what we see in the prototypes and the AVs in smaller scales out there, existing out there, is that we see usually it's two sofas uh, and the strangers are supposed to sit staring at each other for 20 minutes going with with each other to work or or wherever they are going. So this will not work. If you ask people, why are you using your own car to work today? Why are you commuting, even though it's slower than bicycling or slower than com- commuting with a bus or subway? They want to have their privacy. They want to listen to their own music. They want to talk in the phone. Uh, they want to be alone, smoke or whatever. Um, smoke? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people want to do whatever they feel like and don't have eyes on them. This is why they they have their own cars. So if you if you want, and they don't want to sneeze at a stranger, they they definitely don't want a stranger to sneeze at them. And this is really a sub a favorite subject of mine as an industrial designer. You should always aim to design with carrots and not with sticks. Is that how you say it in English as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Using carrots, not sticks. So if this is what people need, you need to listen and you need to solve it. So if you're designing an AV, you need to aim for designing it, not only sharing vehicles, but you also need to aim to share rides. Then you, you, otherwise you won't solve congestion problems. But if you share rides during peak hours, you need to design the vehicle interior so that you can have your own private space when you go with strangers. And this is not something you would like to when you are going with your family or friends during nighttime or during weekends or in the middle of the day. You want the car design to look completely different. You want it to have this social mode setting with two sofas, maybe. But when you go with strangers commuting, you you want to have your own private lounge, your own private space, listening to your own music, sitting with your own computer. You don't want to interact with strangers. And also, it's a matter of personal security. Uh, I've been uh, at NEVS working for a while. We had a cooperation with Didi uh, in China, and they said they have huge problems with sexual harassments, drivers uh, offending and harassing uh, passengers. Uh, and China is definitely not the only country having this problem. If I ask Sweden, where I live, is a very gender equal equal country. Despite this, when I ask friends how they commute during nighttime, a Saturday evening, if they go home with a subway, they have a strategy how to offend, how to defend themselves. 
either with keys or they talk in the phone with someone. They pretend to talk in the phone with someone. Uh, they go with others, other women they don't know in the subway train um, to, to, to feel safe together as a group. This, this strategy, which is very sad that they have to have this strategy, all women have it, <laughs> you can design this fear away by designing the vehicle so that there's no risk for a woman or for your child to go together with a stranger whenever time of the day. And this is something you need to solve by having a flexible interior. This is not nothing you, you can see uh, with the big prototypes out there today. You have this huge social lounge, but it's not designed for commuting with strangers in a safe and secure way. So when you say flexible interior, do you mean a modular interior? So the interior configuration can be changed at the end of each day or for each ride? For each ride. This is what, what we looked at. So it should be possible to, when you order a, a robotaxi, order a special setting. So you order e either a private setting or a social setting, and you order your own seat or several seats if you're going with friends. And then and the then vehicle end up. Hmm? I was going to say, and you were talking earlier about how you had studied the different use cases of how people travel and the times that they travel. So I would imagine then that any company that were, let's say, use this flexible modular idea, they would have information about when it is most common for people to want more social and when it is more common for people to want private. And so on the road, you just during 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the morning, you probably have mostly vehicles out there that are meant to be shared, you know, private compartment type style. And then on weekends, it's maybe more of a mix. You know, mm. um, is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, I mean, we we made uh, calculations in Excel, <laughs> huge calculations on uh, mobility need over the day. Um, utilization rates, how how big the fleet needed to be in, in Stockholm City in order to take care of these amounts of the mobility needs or or all mobility needs or a percentage. Uh, we looked at um, year by year development, how because density of a fleet is is highly important. And in order to be successful owning the business in a city, you need to figure out the perfect amount of vehicles in a city so that utilization is high, but waiting times is low. That uh, seems so to be, that, sorry to interrupt, but that seems to be the trick, not just, um, and also how and where you concentrate them and then what that ingress egress um, is like. Because I imagine, for example, if you had a large shuttle-like type vehicle, but it was flexible and in one use case, it's meant for like the private. Do you have a bunch of different doors? Like, how does that work so that people aren't crawling over each other to the private compartment and that the other person can jump out to go to their next stop? I mean, did you get that far in the process as far as like what? Because to me, the ingress egress seems to be difficult because if you're all riding privately and you don't want to share, how do you do that without? you know, encountering someone. 
And then how do you do it in a way where you might all be going to, you know, are you, how are you path planning? It's a, that was a number of questions I asked, but, but mostly I'm curious about how the design you were thinking through the ingress egress piece of it. Yeah. So this is, uh, your question is, is related to exterior design, which is also really, really interesting and important. And this is something that I would say no one has thought through really uh, yet, but I, I see so many solutions here um, where you could design the exterior of the vehicle so that it would in itself communicate with its surroundings, whether it's free or used or not uh, utilized at the moment. Uh, obviously, you need to have a door per passenger. Uh, that's definitely the way to go. You you shouldn't uh, have to step over a, a co-passenger when you when you leave the vehicle. So you need to have your own door. Um, and you need to design everything in the in in the vehicle so that it's adapted for quick and easy ingress egress when it comes to uh, turning radius when it comes to uh, i mean today you're backing into a small pocket on the side of the road uh, i think avs should have a much better turning radius maybe four wheel steer so that you will be able to just drive into the pocket whenever you need to um, Doors will open and close many times of the day if you compare it to a traditional car. So you need to also look at door design in a new way um, and really look at this as a taxi, uh, next generation uh, in materials. Um, everything will be uh, will be used differently. So, I mean, pr what's premium in a robot taxi is completely different from what's premium in a traditional car. You don't focus on um, luxury wood or something like that in, in a robot taxi. You would think it's much uh, more valuable if you could charge your phone easily. Or uh, it's important that you can also keep the cappuccino in your hand or uh, not have it in your hand um, without dropping everything out uh, when leaving the pocket. Um, I, I was hoping to like just kind of zoom out for a second here because I think there's you've you've mentioned some really interesting things about how you're approaching robotaxis and the way you see them fitting into this broader ecosystem. Because in the US, one thing I encounter a lot is this belief that that AVs are cars. Essentially, I mean, it's boiling down a lot of complexity into sort of one what I think is one fundamental kind of misperception. But you talked about um, about sort of the opportunity with robo taxis to sort of decide, like, hey, we have this market for rides in this, uh, which is something that our our friend Olaf Sockers uh, spoke about a bunch in his book, um, among others. Uh, but uh, you know, you have this market for ride. What is sort of the minimum number of vehicles that we can use to service that? But you're also talking about this in the context of a place where public transportation and bicycles are already like much more adopted than the U S and I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are about sort of robo taxis fitting into a broader uh, sort of mobility ecosystem. Because again, I think in the U S because we're so we're coming out of this with a, a from a, a monoculture where everything is just cars and then there's sort of everything else that people who can't afford a car, I guess, use or whatever. Um, and so I, if you could just sort of help explain sort of that, that high level, like where do AVs fit in all this? Like, is it, 
are these like the one solution that are going to sort of take care of most of our rides? Is it really part of a, a more balanced ecosystem? Like how does a place like Stockholm think about the role of AVs and how that, how that might be different or similar to sort of cars today? Okay. So this is a really good and interesting question. Um, I've, uh, a few days ago, a colleague of mine here uh, at Industry Fonden um, said to me that you're an activist, Anna, uh, because he thinks that I'm too proactive for being an investor. Um, and I think that's really true. I, I, try to, I try to explain to people that everyone connected to this future ecosystem of autonomous vehicles need to... Um, need to contribute uh, into the solutions. Because um, if you look at Sweden, we have public transportation, which is, especially in Stockholm, it's highly used. Um, when I speak to SL, which is the, the public transportation company in Stockholm, uh, they're interested in AVs and, and AD technologies, and they have a, a small pilot here also in, in the suburb of Stockholm uh, with AVs, small scale, 20 kilometers an hour. Um, they would want to see these pilots grow, uh, both in speed and in geofenced areas, uh, but they lack the technology, obviously. They also lack the, maybe the capacity to, to actually uh, reach out to, to possible companies that they could uh, uh, collaborate with to actually develop this together. Because I think that who will be it's a good question. Who will be own? Who will be owning um, the rides? The, the selling of the rides. Who will own the the actual business of of selling the rides, selling the user interface, um, and who are best equipped to actually develop this? If you if you can imagine a football game, and everyone order an AV uh, to ride home, and they leave this football stadium, and there's 150 vehicles out there waiting for them. So who's, which car is mine? How would I know which car is mine? This is also a matter of user interface design. It's a matter of uh, communication. It's a matter of exterior design of the vehicle. How do you want to communicate with the users in many different steps? Um, and who, who are best equipped to do this design? Uh, it's it's a design journey. You need to design the journey, the user journey, uh, from from A to to uh, in Swedish, but A to Z in English. Um, I I I would love to see public transportation companies being more evolved and more involved here. Um, I think they could become uh, an important part of the puzzle. Full complete puzzle of, of this eco, future ecosystem. Um, but I think the target group when it comes to users are the people using their own private car today. So these are the people we are aiming to really find and to, to change behavior. Uh, if, if, we, if we get people that are using the subway to start using AVs, we haven't gained anything. We need to really move the private ownership people into this behavior. And then again, the car design, the vehicle design is highly important. But, but who will then offer the rides? This is a big question mark still. We don't have the answer, but 
I see that Waymo, for instance, they are using Chrysler Pacific as traditional cars. Why? It's sad. It's sad that one of the biggest companies in the world, they don't have the right hardware. Yeah. And I think there's a there's kind of a, a broader question here, too, of, you know, what is the the public private relationship, right? Is is the ability to get around a city, is that part of a city's infrastructure? Or is that a problem that a private company should be coming in to solve without necessarily having to work with the city? If, if we look at, I've, I've been studying uh, European uh, cities, not only Stockholm, but also Paris, London, Milan. Um, many cities in Europe are trying to reduce the number of cars on the road with different um, uh, regulations. So cars are prohibited to drive on certain roads, certain hours of the day or certain days of the week. I, I think that we will see uh, different countries and different cities take different uh, measures and different approaches here. And it's a way the same with, if you look at AD companies, they are focusing very geographically in a small scale. They are focusing on on smaller, either a country or a city. And I think uh, if they start collaborating with the cities they could become this huge force pushing this forward. But they need the hardware design to really have this last piece of the puzzle to really make this a mobility service that is interesting for the users. So that's why I'm so uh, frustrated with automotive industry that they are not uh, designing solutions because they have the knowledge to build cars. And this knowledge is actually needed here. If they would understand the possibilities they have if they transform now and not wait for 10 or 15 years. They could really become one of the biggest companies and they could also survive this transformation, which otherwise I think we will see big OEMs not being able to transform and they will die. So, and I want to let others get in here, but I wanted to ask you, because you you said you spent you know these years in this conflict, you know, debate, let's call it, uh, at, at NEVS about this about this topic, what what did you find? What were the arguments that you found were successful? That that automotive engineers and designers and developers that they found compelling arguments uh, because we know, you know, there's all kinds of of arguments for and and against, you know, autonomous vehicle technology. But but what what were the ones that that you found that resonated in the auto industry specifically? Um. I'm not sure what worked at NEVS would work at every company. Uh, what worked at NEVS was the word innovation. Because I think most engineers working with NEVS, they had a history working with Saab. And at Saab, it was really important with innovation, especially based on technology. Uh, so what was new to them was business model innovation. That was new. But innovation closely connected to to technology was something that they really was attractive by and could understand the importance of. And also, I mean, if you discuss this thoroughly with whatever people, in the end, they're convinced that obviously this is the future. This is the way to go. This, there's no arguments against it other than just keep to what's, what's known. You, you hit on an interesting point about uh, five minutes ago, a few minutes ago, and it was this idea of um, when we were talking about public transit. And 
it's not a surprise to me that there are a number of private companies in the United States all pursuing, you know, level four autonomous driving because um, there's potentially a huge business there. I think what's interesting, and I hadn't really thought about it much, is that government is really not involved at all. Um, I mean, there's talk, of course, about like what's the role on the regulatory side and there's a few grants here and there. And of course, DARPA helped kick off some 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 of the pursuit of that here in the United States. But if you really wanted to move the needle in a way and make it a um, autonomous driving, adopting that technology and putting it into public transit, but maybe having it more like on demand and not fixed route, you would think that governments actually would be heavily investing in it because it could solve some of the infrastructure problems like crumbling subways and other things. And it's just an idea I hadn't really thought about is, um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that the most of the focus is on private industry here in the United States, but is that something that you've seen any interest like in Sweden, for example, or other countries in Europe where the government is actually like heavily investing and really shaping even on the design side? No, it's the same in Sweden, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sad to say. Uh, I've been talking to politicians, even ministers uh, uh, here in Sweden, and um, they don't have knowledge enough to argue when automotive industry tells them what's the, what the future is about. And that's the problem with automotive industries, lobbyist um, um, they have so many lobbying people uh, globally. I mean, if you look at Germany, for instance, they have now succeeded automotive industry in Germany, I would presume, that there's a demand to have a human driver driving cars. End of story. <laughs> I mean, if you... If you succeed to regulate that you have to have a human driver driving each car, how do you do then succeed to innovate in that country? How do you think that that would actually help the country to make their own automotive industry to survive? It's really not helping them, but they don't understand this because they don't have the knowledge. They listen too much to the friends that they've had for hundred years. They've been they've been helping automotive industry forever, and I think it's that that's in a way I see that as also my task to how do you say how to to educate them, to educate politicians that there are other ways to reach a transformation much sooner and much faster. And I'm so uh, frustrated when automotive industry, uh, they, they're saying uh, as often as they can, it's much harder than we thought, this with AD, much harder than we thought. So it will take much, many more years. Uh, it's far away in the future. It's 2050. It's maybe never. When, when they say this, they mean level five. They mean driving autonomously everywhere under all conditions. That's not needed for robotaxis. You can cut many years of development by focusing on robotaxi services instead. But this is one of the challenges, right? I think if you if you are an AV optimist, 
Um, there's been a lot of hype, uh, right? And and mm. and again, some very justified hype in sort of the long term potential of this. But I think where people oftentimes get confused or or even get swayed in one way or another, you know, it comes down to the timeline. You know, and I know I certainly get asked about it all the time. It's a very difficult question to answer. And so instead of asking you what the timeline will be, I'll, I'll ask you a different question, which is, you know, how do you how do you navigate just that that issue? The fact that there have been a lot of hype that people have thought, certainly in this country, and I don't know if it's different in Sweden, people thought that uh, autonomous vehicles would be essentially more or less, you know, pretty widely available by now. Right. Um, and, and, and a lot of the timeline is seen as a disappointment. This, of course, oftentimes lead people to go from being just, well, oh, disappointed it's not here yet to, oh, maybe. And, and of course, there's other issues around te- the tech sector over promising things here too, as well. But then maybe, maybe it's not just that they're late. Maybe this is just not going to actually happen. This is another Theranos or what have you. I'm curious how you, how you navigate the, that kind of issue, because it seems like it affects almost everything related to AVs. If you're, if you're an optimist, right? Well, I'm an optimist, so I don't focus on the bad news. <laughs> I try to I try to be uh, focusing on I want to focus on technology uh, moving forward and I think there are always my experience is that okay, so there's first uh, first they laugh at you, then they're afraid of you, uh, then there's this hype and then you become realistic. So I think we're in that phase now when we are realistic and we should look at the possibilities technology gives us and will give us. It's really only a matter of time before we have this full puzzle put together. But I think as long as we lack the hardware design, and it can sound small in a way because we are focusing so much on on AD and how do we secure all these different conditions? How do we secure that the vehicle will never fail? I mean, we don't have to have vehicles that will never fail. We need to have vehicles that are safe for its purpose, obviously. Um, we can have remote drivers being in control for 10 vehicles at simultaneously, um, ready to take over when the vehicle says, okay, so here's an object that I cannot handle. I don't know what it is that I have in front of me. Could you please take over just so that I can ride past this? Um, and and we can have those solutions with humans being backups uh, when in a level four stage, you know, where, where when it's calm and safe. And to, and focus on finding solutions. But I think the problem is that we are not focusing on finding solutions now. We are only talking about challenges and problems within the field right now. I hear so much about cybersecurity challenges, about uh, regulations and legal. If I, I talked to this is a Swedish woman, Christina Andersson here in Sweden. Uh, she wrote over a thousand pages for the Swedish government on how to regulate AVs and AD vehicles in the future or, or from, from, from today and, and for, moving forward. She's a lawyer uh, and a judge, and she knows uh, law inside out. And she's also an expert within AD nowadays. When I talk to her about the challenges on regulations and and, and legal aspects, she says to me that there are no objects. There are nothing standing in the way. 
for any OEM in Sweden to apply for a pilot certification. Uh, there's no problems. I talk to Swedish transport students and Swedish um, transport agency. They say the same. We've been waiting for AV pilots to be applied uh, here for many years already. We are standing here prepared. We can we can take care of those applications. Someone well, want to say something? Yeah. <laughs> venture a guess. Um, by the way, the town that I went to in northern Sweden was Kiruna. Kiruna, yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, tough spot. Which actually bring <laughs> reminds me of a, of a f interesting point about Sweden. Um, winters are can be tough, and I'm gonna guess that the the, the local AD developers will look at that and say it might be easier to try this elsewhere. Am I? I don't know. Yeah, you've interacted with AD developers up there. Who were who were they? Uh, okay, so for instance, this this Finnish company called Sensible 4. They are specialized in uh, snowy weather and snowstorms, and they can handle this. So I would assume that they would uh, sooner or later part, uh, collaborate with other AD companies to find a complete solution. I, I, can't, I can't speak for them or anyone else uh, attempting to operate in Sweden, um, but I would imagine that the cost of development to in a, an area, an ODD that includes heavy winter weather is would probably knock it down a rung or two in the sequence of ODDs in which you'd want to develop. I'm just speculating. Right. But Alex, I would say that, you know, in if your country in which that is a, a big part of your environment for a lot of the year, you're you're thinking through those things. Um, like look at Yandex in Russia. They are actively testing um you know there and i'm not saying like they're not they're they are testing other places but i think that they are testing and have russia as a priority because it's a nationalistic type of approach right well you should so. you should invite sensible four and ask them about snowy weather uh, what i'd like to do is invite a uh, christian von Koenigsegg. i do you know him yes actually so, because I years ago I went to go visit him at his factory, and he said that he attempted to buy or raise money to buy Nevs, and he is, you know, for anyone who doesn't know who Koenigsegg is, one of the the founder and CEO of one of the like three or four world's most important supercar companies, and he drives a Tesla. He loves it. He says it's incredible value. He. I, <laughs> He's also incredibly bullish on autonomous vehicles. He can't wait for them to show up. I, I would love to hear his thoughts on what would have happened had he bought Nevs. Because I think we might have seen a different scenario. Uh, maybe you know more about it than I do. This helped. Yeah, I I don't know how to comment on it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? Are you under non-disclosure? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Would be my answer. I think. Uh. <laughs> I went to see him three, I guess it was about three and a half years ago, and he he seemed disappointed that he had not acquired the company. And we talked about cars. Uh, and he knows, and he and I are both car enthusiasts, but I'm also obviously very bullish on autonomy. Anyway. Uh, so as we as we wrap this up, I'm curious sort of what are the, you, you mentioned that your investment fund, um, you know, obviously looking for a return on, on capital, like every other investor, but that you also have some sort of strategic goals along with that. I was wondering if you could help us um, understand the kinds of companies, maybe companies you've already invested in, just so we can get a sense of sort of 
what what are the kinds of companies you are you are investing in um, to to sort of pursue specifically those those sort of uh, strategic goals that you have as a fund? You mean focusing on mobility? Mobility, and and you mentioned sort of that that strengthen Sweden's sort of ecosystem or or position as a as a technology leader. Yeah, Industry Fonden is a, a VC. We've been existing for more than forty years. Uh, we're actually um, uh, founded by uh, the Swedish government um, as a foundation, and we're an evergreen fund. So uh, we invest all profit into new investor investments in new startups. Um, the strategy for our company has been changing throughout the years, the 40 years that we've been working, uh, obviously, and we need to adapt to the world we're in. Um, I would say that when I, I started working here for uh, eight months ago, so I'm fairly new at the company. So I wouldn't say I'm, I'm the best expert in history uh, of industry funding, but I was expecting more companies uh, searching for venture capital within the field of future mobility. So I'm a bit concerned, and I also noticed that um, the mobility companies uh, that are born in Sweden, they are heavily impacted by Volvo uh, and how to relate to Volvo in one way or another. E either they will become a customer or they could become a threat. And both scenarios are problematic. And I think um, this is why I think automotive industry is struggling with, with development. Is It's really hard. You have to have a lot of money. Uh, you have to be more or less an Elon Musk kind of person to be able to, to start a new company uh, working with hardware in automotive industry. So I think um, from, from a software perspective, we see, we see companies um, Hardware is um, hard. Hard. <laughs> so, so call it on, that, on that note, we have to we have to wrap up. So, one last very uh, quick question: What's your prediction um, for? I guess in near term, the next year or two, what do you see happening or not happening in the world of of autonomy? Just briefly. Well, being an optimist, I think what we will see will happen is that the pilots existing today, they will grow gradually. Uh, they will grow in, in, in areas. They will grow in speed, um, maximum speed of the vehicles. We will see, and I'm certain of this, we will see the hardware design also mature. We will see more companies realizing how important it is to focus on user experience so they will start employing more industrial designers and connect the car designers with industrial designers so that they need to cooperate together in a much closer way. So if, I mean, fleet management systems that are out there already, you have many taxi companies having user interface already existing today. So I think route optimization is there, um, route prediction is there. I think. Um, most pieces of the puzzle is there. I think also level four AD is mature enough to start really growing um, into the more urban areas of cities. But I, I understand that it's it's hard for the AD companies because they are not focusing on, according to me, maybe you know this better than 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 what I do, but 
according to the people I've talked to from working in AD companies, they're not focusing so much on, on future business models, actually. They're not focusing so much on how they, are, what, what part of this puzzle they will take, how they will earn money in the end, because they have venture capital uh, funding them. Uh, you, no one is asking them, how will you actually become a profit-based company in the future um, yet? Uh, they will have to focus on this sooner or later, and I think then they will become one of the the forces driving this, pushing this forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I can say this with confidence. There is at least one large <laughs> AD company that a lot of conversations are about the business model and profitability. But that may not start with the letter A. I wonder what that company could be. <laughs> I don't know what the other guys are doing. So. Um, well, thank you, Alex, for definitely not in any way hinting about what company that is. Um, that's really good insight, Anna. And we'll have to have you come back and maybe this time next year and see what progress has been made. Um, but thank you again for joining us. And I would like to wait before you, we we part, I would like very much for you, if you could find out whether you under non-disclosure over your knowledge of Christian von Koenigsegg and the history of Nevs. Because I suspect that when the book is written, you know, every vertical of human endeavor has the what if, you know, the what if scenarios, what could have been. And many people in the automotive universe fantasize about what would have happened had Saab survived and what Nevs might have been. I'd love to hear that story. I would love to hear it from you. <laughs> Well, go check on that NDA and uh, then come back and tell us the story and we'll share it with you. I will. Okay. I will. Looking forward to it. Great. Well, thanks again. And uh, thank you to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atonicast.